0: Come in Berlin. This is Katie in Paris. Do you read me?
1: Loud and clear.
0: Amazing. Unlike last week when I was in beautiful put Wi-Fi-less Rome. This week we can actually hear each other. It's a goddamn miracle.
1: Oh, what a relief. I never want to do that ever again.
0: Me neither. I am very glad to be back in Paris because even though it smells like urine, the Wi-Fi is amazing.
1: I'm so interested in city smells at the moment because every city I go to has different smells that come up from the drains all around. In Berlin, there is this like drain smell that I smell again all over the place. And it's different to the drain smell that I used to smell in Ghent.
0: (laughs) What did the Ghent drain smell like?
1: Oh, that was the worst. No offense. All you people living in Ghent.
0: (laughs) We just lost all of our listeners in Ghent. All three of them.
1: I mean, I'm sure it's just to do with how the sewage system is designed. Um, But I don't feel like we get drain smell in London.
0: Yeah, it's true. It's not something I've ever noticed. The Paris one, and I'm sorry to start with so much urine chat at the top of this week's show, but the Paris one is definitely because men arbitrarily urinate in the streets all over the place, right next to public toilets. It's insanely frustrating.
1: Nothing to do with infrastructure. No. Just to do with stupidity.
0: I actually did a piece about it and I went around asking people why they did it. And uh, this being France, like I got a lot of very philosophical answers back very quickly like well it's just a question of liberty isn't it which is madness
1: (laughs) that is absolute madness you know what is also madness Erdogan is like visiting my place of work tomorrow
0: is he are you gonna shake his hand
1: uh no and actually my colleague said that actually he may not be coming into our building he's coming into like the building next door but therefore we're all on lockdown and have to show our passports Thomas said that I should shout something mean at him like poopy
0: You should have your picture taken and cause your own Ozil style scandal. Oh
1: yeah, maybe I should. That's quite a good idea. Or not. Um, Yeah, I was thinking I might like shout something about democracy at him or something. And then my colleagues were like, have you seen the snipers who are already sitting on the roofs? (laughs) I was like, okay, no, I'm I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to open any windows, I promise.
0: Yeah, you don't want to do that. What would you say anyway? Like, democracy is good.
1: Yeah. Free opposition journalists.
0: That would be quite nice. I would thoroughly endorse that.
1: Good work. You never know.
0: But don't get shot, okay?
1: Okay. I'm not going to do it, NSA, who's listening to me because I've been texting people about this.
0: <gasps> um, What else is going on? How are preparations for the show going?
1: Yeah, really well. Everything's coming together. We meet the orchestra tomorrow, which I'm very excited about. Wait,
0: have you not met the orchestra yet?
1: No. So in an opera rehearsal process, you do like almost, yeah, you do four weeks usually where you rehearse just with piano. Wow. Um, And then the orchestra comes in right at the end and changes everything. And you have to like try and work out being on stage and being able to see the conductor and singing and acting at the same time with all these instruments around you. And this performance, the instruments actually are around me because the orchestra is on stage. Cool. Uh, So it's going to be really interesting. And I think there's a saxophone.
0: There's a saxophone. That's quite unusual, isn't it? It's a bit funky.
1: It is very unusual, yes.
0: Very modern.
1: Very contemporary. Um, but Katie, what have we got coming up this week?
0: Coming up this week, I have been having a chat with Monique van der Abel. You apparently had better things to do, Dominic, singing, apparently, than doing this interview. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Whatever. Monique is Belgian, she is blind, and she made headlines this week because after working with guide dogs for most of her life she decided to shake things up and use a tiny adorable horse instead this horse dinky is thought to be the first horse of his kind in europe helping a blind person i didn't even know that was a thing it's amazing
1: really the first in europe yeah. Because I googled it in preparation for this interview, which I wasn't free for. And they're quite established in America.
0: Yeah, there's quite a few of them. And it's actually, Britain is going to be getting its first one soon. There's a BBC journalist, Muhammad Salim Patel, who is scared of dogs. So he's getting one as well. His one's still being trained, so he's not going to get it for another two years. So Dinky has pipped him to the post. First in Europe. It's amazing. That is coming up. But first, there's a little something that we have to do. And it is called... Hey. It's been a very good week for rockets. We never go to space in this podcast, Dominic, and I really felt like it was time to fix that. This week, marked the 100th launch of Ariane 5, which is Europe's rocket programme. Not something that most people have heard of, not really sure why. Probably because it doesn't launch humans into space, which was actually the original plan. Um, It's actually been sending up satellites for the last 20 years, mostly telecom satellites. Which is also very important. Very important helping us make phone calls. Probably helping us make this call right now.
1: Oh, that's really magical. Well done.
0: Yeah, only just thought of that. It's nice, isn't it? For years and years, Ariane was the biggest player in the whole, like... Rocket Boosty Satellite Sector, is that what it's called?
1: Rocket Boosty Satellite Sector is the official term, I think, yeah.
0: You know what I mean. It was like the dominant player. But then this guy called Elon Musk came along with a little company called SpaceX. And he has been increasingly offering the same kind of thing, rocket boosty satellite services, for a more competitive price. SpaceX can launch its swanky reusable Falcon rocket for like $62 million a pop whereas Ariane can cost up to 150. So we have actually been developing a new rocket, imaginatively named Ariane 6, specifically to compete with Elon Musk. But apparently it's still going to be more expensive and it's not going to launch for two more years. So we're going to have to see if we can up our game. Still been a big week, I think. 100 rocket launches. That's not to be sneered at. No,
1: that is not to be sneered at. 100 rocket launches is very, very good. It's more than I've done.
0: It is more than you've done. And we'll have to see. I mean, maybe we can take on Elon Musk. He has gone completely mad recently, so... It's another unpredictable factor.
1: He has come completely mad. So is it is it funded by the EU?
0: Yeah, I think quite a lot of the funding comes from the European Space Agency, which in theory, yeah, our governments pay for.
1: Cuz if it is funded by the EU, then I have launched a part of those missiles as a European citizen.
0: That is true. Well done.
1: Oh, I met some people who worked at the European Space Agency recently. Oh, cool. In Amsterdam, they were cool. They were really cool, actually, like, and glamorous.
0: Really? Because you think of uh, people that work with space stuff as being really mathsy and nerdy. No offense, people that get a mad
1: Yeah, they weren't. They wore really nice clothes and were really tall and Italian and cool. Oh,
0: God. I want to be friends with them.
1: I know. I tried. It didn't work out. Why
0: don't I have space friends? Why don't I have any friends? <sighs>
1: That's a topic for another evening, Katie.
0: Anyway, on a similarly depressing note, who's had a bad week?
1: Um, Well, actually, it's not so depressing. I've actually never enjoyed researching a bad week as much as I have this week's. And I kind of think that we should have done a whole like spin-off podcast series about the director who's at the centre of this tale. Bad week comes this week from my current city of residence, Berlin, where the Berlin Festspieler, which is one of the leading organisers of like arty festivals in this very arty city, They've had their application to reconstruct 800 metres of the Berlin Wall for a temporary art project. Rejected. You might think, fair enough, why should we be reconstructing this wall? That is a focal point for trauma for so many people who still live in the city. And you might be right. But there is much more to this tale than I thought at first glance. Oh, yeah. So the Berlin local government didn't refuse the application because of the ethics of the project. No, they cited concern over safety of the design, escape routes, and the short notice at which they were trying to launch such a massive site-specific art project. Is
0: this what we call in Britain, health and safety gone mad?
1: Yeah, well... I'm not actually sure it's gone mad, considering they were planning on creating a huge 800-meter wall and, like, a whole arty theme park within it in two months' notice. But anyway, I'll tell you a bit about what the project entails. The Russian film director, Ilya Krzhanovsky, I bet I'm pronouncing that wrong, is behind this bonkers and extraordinary installation that would have seen attendants apply for visas instead of tickets and enter a special experience space for between four and six hours. It's not yet clear what one exactly would experience in this special place, but it would probably be like entering another country and perhaps even another era. The wall was or perhaps still is part of a larger project entitled DAO, which includes the world premiere of what has been described as the most ambitious film project ever launched and this is where i became obsessed with the story i don't really know where to des- actually to start in describing this huge film project because uh, so essentially the director created an enormous community in a town in Ukraine which had actors and Extras, living in it for five years.
0: Oh, I've heard about this. Like the fake USSR thing.
1: Yes. So, many months would go by where there was no filming at all and yet the community would still be full of people living lives in this totalitarian society that the director created, complete with fines for people who used modern words that didn't fit into the Stalin era society. There is an amazing GQ feature from the set, which is so fascinating and mad in describing the weird details of this huge film slash massive kind of method acting experiment. Some people described it as resembling a cult community with Krzernofsky madly leading it, and others said it was a wonderful experience. Um, Anyway, you should check out that article. I'll post a link to it. It's so fascinating. Like, it wrapped up many, many years ago, and as part of the wall going up, they were also going to show the films for the first time that were made in this weird studio. So all I know is that I want to see it. And maybe it will be still possible despite the wall not going up. And actually, there's a weird thing whereby the Festspieler have said, we haven't received the rejection letter from the council yet. So until we do, we're assuming this is still going ahead. and They're really hoping that it will still go ahead mm. I guess I kind of shouldn't be too disappointed because the project was going to launch on October the 12th, which also happens to be the day of my premiere at the Staatsoper in Berlin. So... It probably would have completely stolen my limelight.
0: Dominic, you've forgotten what October 12th also is.
1: Wait, I'm getting there.
0: Okay, give you a (laughs) chance to redeem yourself.
1: It probably would have completely stolen my limelight seeing as it's going to be taking place on the same road that the opera house that I'm singing in sits on. Although it also might have given you something to do, Katie, because that's the evening that you're visiting me on your birthday. And uh, listeners, really bad news. My opera's totally sold out for the premiere and I can't get her ticket
0: i didn't want to come anyway i think it's very arrogant of you to assume that i would want to come and see your opera i'm gonna go <laughs> to bergheim and have a great time
1: okay you do that on
0: my own
1: <laughs> so yeah i mean screw bad week for berlin feshpear katie you can have it if you want it you can take bad week
0: thank you i will um so was this was the berlin wall thing gonna be immersive in the same way as the Fakes of it, Union thing?
1: We don't really know. They haven't really said anything about it. It was very mysterious, but people have been guessing that it was going to be a bit like that kind of mini immersive experience of crossing over to the DDR. DDR? I mean, GDR, we say in English, don't we?
0: GDR, yeah.
1: I've been here so long, I'm saying DDR.
0: I tend to find stuff like that. Like my instinct is to find it a little bit Yucky, because I think some people might treat it as kind of entertainment. Like, oh, we're going to this game. looks like the Berlin Wall. And I find that a bit disrespectful. But like like immersive experiences like that can actually be really, really uh, affecting. Like when I was in Johannesburg for work a few months ago, I went to the apartheid museum and there's a similar kind of thing. So like when you go in, they give you a ticket which arbitrarily says black or white on it. And depending on whether you've been categorized as black or white, you have to go through different gates and the whole first bit of the museum is segregated it was a really simple thing but i found it like really powerful and thought-provoking yeah so i think this could have been as well
1: it could have been who knows i mean the director does seem to be completely bonkers so i doubt it would have been that entertaining from what i hear about his work i think if anything it would have been like really grim
0: yeah not the funnest
1: but we'll see if it happens it's also meant to be coming to paris if if it actually happens yeah eventually
0: huh Big news in brussels this week and no i'm not talking about like the brexit negotiations or whatever i am talking about dinky a tiny horse 70 centimeters tall who last week had the honor of being the first ever animal to be invited to the european parliament and the MEPs got very excited about this for obvious reasons. Uh, Dinky has been trained to help Monique van der Abeel. She's a single mum living in the beautiful city of Bruges in Belgium. She's also an activist who does loads of projects around integrating visually impaired people. And one of the nicest people I've ever spoken to. Monique was born with an eye disorder called congenital glaucoma. And she's been completely blind since she was 11. And uh, as you'll hear, she previously got around with the help of a guide dog. But in February she decided, I'm going to try a little horse instead. Because... Why not? You know? Kate,
1: okay, do you refer to it as a tiny horse? But I think the technical term is actually miniature horse. I think you should use the right language.
0: Whatever. All I know is that um, Monique told me this. It's definitely not a pony. Do not call it a pony. It's a horse.
1: Is a miniature horse like, um, you know, in parks and recreation? Yeah. There's that little horse, or is it a pony? That's a Shetland pony, isn't it? Oh, yeah. The... L- little Sebastian.
0: Little Sebastian. <laughs> 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 this is Europe's answer to Little Sebastian. I love little Sebastian. Definitely in in the way of bringing joy because uh, he's just a really delightful animal. Check him out on the internet. You'll just swoon. Um, yeah, our American listeners, as mentioned, might be less excited about all of this than we are because apparently it's a little bit more common over there. There's, um, I think, at least 150 such guide horses helping visually impaired people. But uh, for us here in Europe, it's very exciting. I personally didn't even know that you could train a horse to guide a person around in the same way that a dog does. Did you
1: know that? No, I didn't either. And are there any other animals you can choose other than horses
0: or dogs? I don't know. Should we have a quick look? Yeah. Guide animals. Service animals. Dolphins? No way. (laughs) Oh, my God. I'm just Googling it and I found some guide dolphins. That can't be a thing.
1: I think it's just horse and horse and dogs
0: cats birds and even a wolf are working to help mitigate people's disabilities in montana so there you are no it's on wikipedia so it's true um anyway as far as horses go dinky is the first here in europe doing this very important job how does it work having a miniature horse help you around the supermarket and negotiate all the daily challenges of life why would you want a horse instead of a dog i gave monique a call at home in bruges to find out So you haven't actually got Dinky yet. He's still in another town in Belgium called Tongeren with his trainer, who's this British lady called Jules O'Dwyer. So at the moment, you're just going back and forward for training sessions with him. You must be pretty excited about the end of the year when he's actually going to come and live with you. Yeah. (laughs) So tell me the story, because like when people see these headlines about a horse doing the same job as a guide dog, it's not something most people have seen before. How did this happen?
2: Um, on the 21st of May 2016, I had to put my 11-year-old guide dog, Xina to sleep uh, because of a tumor in her stomach. It was very hard to say goodbye. Mm-hmm. Xena was the second dog that I lost. Last year, I had the report on the television about guide horse in the US, and uh, I immediately felt that the horse could also be the right solution for me. <laughs> Okay. And a few months later, Jules Odewer was telling the world that she is training the first guide horse in Europe. Uh, many years before, she was a woman who had trained my guide dog, Xena.
0: Oh, so you already knew each other? Okay.
2: Yeah. After a long conversation on the phone and a visit to Dinky, uh, Jules decided to include me in her project okay. and to give me the first guide horse in Europe.
0: And what was it like meeting Dinky for the first time?
2: Oh, he's very cute, he's very clever, uh, Yeah, he's very stable in his work. Dinky does the same jobs of his dog, collies. He guides me safely around the footpath, shows me the ends of the footpaths or a crosswalk. A miniature horse is not a pet. Of course, it's allowed to come in the living room of the kitchen, but it has an own stable and its own place.
0: Okay, because I was going to ask, like, he's not going to sleep in the house then?
2: No, 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 no. In my garden, there is a stable, especially for Dinky. When he is in the shop, or when he is in my living room, it's for him the place to be worked there. Okay, so outside is
0: Dinky time, inside work time. Gotcha. Because I had another question about how he goes to the toilet. Presumably you can't house train a horse in the same way
2: that you would a dog. Everybody asks me this, but uh, many people think of a, of a big horse and that's not the same of a mini horse. Uh, his poo is very fast. He, he eats hay and, and grass and he does his thing in the garden, not in the home.
0: Okay, because I thought, and maybe I'm imagining this, but I could have sworn I've seen pictures of a horse wearing a, like a diaper. Did I imagine that?
2: <laughs> No, 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 no. It's it's an animal, you know. (laughs) No, 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 no. The big horse in the city, we have a back on his Uh, bits Uh and dinky somebody makes a little bag for dinky
0: oh to catch the poo yeah okay wow it's very practical I'm glad that we got that cleared up I'm asking all the important questions on this podcast as always Uh, more important question Monique it sounds like for you you had this really close bond with your previous two guide dogs what was the advantage of choosing a horse this time instead
2: the mini horse lives for twenty five to thirty years. This means that the mini horse can be employed as a trustee assistant for twenty years. Wow. A guide dog only lives for ten to twelve years. Right. My life was perfectly suited for a guide horse. Besides going shopping, I especially want to go for a walk in the nature around my house. And I want to go on forest and beach walks. <laughs> and of course, I also want to relax and enjoy a drink outside in my city, in Bruges.
0: Well, I am guessing that the people of Bruges are going to be delighted to see you out and about with Dinky, going to the supermarket and having a drink in the bar.
2: Of course, it's normal that people have a lot of questions about Dinky. When we are out walking, people must be react surprised. They think it's handsome, cute, amazing, (laughs) and they start smiling for it makes them happy. Less funny for me is that people get in my way because they feel the need to touch this beautiful little horse. Right. Just as a guide dog, a guide horse, when it works, which you can tell by his harness, should not be touched, only in his free time.
0: If you see Dinky, say hello. No touching. Do not touch the horse dinky has a facebook page in flemish and english if you search at european guide horse you will find it my boyfriend nearly had a nervous breakdown looking at the pictures yesterday he was just shouting it's so small at the screen and it was really quite beautiful to watch uh anyway from the prettiest horse in europe to the prettiest magazine As mentioned last week, we've teamed up for a couple of weeks with the uber cool magazine, Are We Europe, to draw attention to their latest issue, which is all about the transatlantic relationship.
1: We are going to be speaking to Alexander Hurst this week, who's another of the co-editors, but he also wrote a really interesting article about the relationship between America and Europe. Um, He was the one article that Kirill mentioned last week that was allowed to mention Trump. So he, um, yeah, sorry, trigger warning for mention of
0: the T word. If you want to read Are We Europe? You can read it online at areweeurope.com and you can also use this website to order a very beautiful print copy. Let's give Alexandra a ring.
1: We heard from Kirill last week that um, you were trying as hard as possible not to talk about Trump in this magazine, but you had the honour of writing the one article about Trump am i right
3: right well I, you know you don't really want to talk about Trump but you you can't really publish an entire magazine themed around transatlantic relations and not talk about Trump uh, it's a pretty giant 800 pound gorilla to ignore even with tiny tiny hands <laughs> I wanted to look at the long-term consequences of Trump's effect on relations between European nations and the United States. So a bit broader view than just what's going on in diplomatic circles right now, but really looking at the idea of whether Donald Trump is Either representative of a phenomenon or the phenomenon in and of itself that is causing a wider rift that will endure long after his presidency. I look at some polling in the piece, I look at some anecdotal views from people on the street who I've met, I've looked at a bit of international relations theory to talk about NATO, and I think to the degree to which Trump can have a lasting impact, is if he really gets it gets to divisions on an identity level and starts to create rifts in the way that different publics identify with each other.
0: So your article opens with you having your hair cut in Paris and your barber says to you, I love America's culture, but I hate its politics. How do you feel when French people say stuff like that to you?
3: <laughs> I, I can understand them. I think for once, Americans are are kind of experiencing what we do often in the United States with regards to other countries, which is to, to ask people, any random people from, you know, France or the UK, or australia or china hey explain what's going on in your country explain this crazy political phenomenon to us and all of a sudden that person becomes a representative of their country and i think a lot of americans who are traveling abroad or living abroad now are (laughs) are experiencing that
1: do you feel like you are kind of tempted to identify more as european the longer you live here or is is that not something that's going to happen
3: Definitely. I think, I think that I do. Every time that I go back to the United States, I find myself a little bit dépaysé, as I would say in French. You know, like a little bit um, hit with a certain amount of cultural distance. And, and it's not always political. Just certain things that have become part of my day-to-day routine living in Paris. I'll, I'll go into the U.S. and want to greet a shopkeeper, like when I walk into a store. And of course you don't do that. Or I'll go back to the U.S. and want to and really not know how to greet somebody because there's no bees. But at least on a... On a sense of political identification i do you know start to consider myself more and more european or to have more and more of a european outlook on things and and less of a of an immediate approach where where my starting point is the american way of doing something and then i have to translate that into to whatever european context i find myself and a lot of times the the opposite
1: i was wondering is there one thing that you think europeans should learn from americans that the americans do better
3: I think the United States has a really fantastic spirit of innovation and merging different things and openness to, to non traditional paths. So, food, you know, I think the United States is really playful and inventive and does a great job of merging different traditions, whether it's creating Korean barbecue tacos or Southern-influenced ramen, I think you find a lot of playfulness and inventiveness there in the United States. Uh, With regards to, to, for example, entering the job market after having taken a non-traditional approach to your studies, I think there's a lot of openness, or if you want to go work at a startup in the U.S. after having spent a year traveling around the world busking in metros, being a... Uh, you know, like a double major in political science and economics or anthropology, and then going and working in some totally different field, I think there's a sense of if you can prove you can do it, you can do it. Um, Versus in France, there's a lot of importance placed on the the background, the path that you followed, and maybe a little bit less on just prove you can do it, and you can do it. Um, So I think those are two things that the U.S. definitely does well and that others could learn from.
1: We are in Germany for this week's happy ending where a message in a bottle was found on the roof of the cathedral in the small German town of Goslar. The message was written by a group of roofers who were working on the roof of the cathedral 88 years ago and it talks of the hard times they're facing after the First World War and they hope that the letter will be found and read by someone in better times. Wow. Now, you might think this is me going off-piste with my not-so-happy ending again.
0: <laughs> bit grim, I was going to um, say. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> But the thing that makes this tale so extraordinary is the fact that it was found by another roofer who was also working on the roof. And in a turn of phenomenal fate, that roofer happened to be his grandson.
0: What?
1: Isn't that amazing?
0: That's crazy. That gave me a little shiver down my spine.
1: And I'm quite cold as well, though. Oh, yeah, me too. And I think most people would agree that despite the hardships that the world is facing now and the sense of terrifying instability in the looming climate crisis, we are in better times generally than Germany was in the 1930s, where they, as they claimed in the letter, would work one week for one pound of butter and a loaf of bread. Wow. So, yeah, now Germany is a country with a statutory minimum wage, which will afford you quite a bit more than a bit of bread and butter, hopefully. So that's a happy ending.
0: It is. We should leave a message in a bottle somewhere. We should where, though?
1: Where's like. Maybe in the G spot of Europe.
0: Oh, that's a good idea. All right, we're going to have to go to. Shit, what's it called? Ah! What's it called? Great
1: marketing, Kevin, if you can't remember. Filness.
0: Filness, sorry. I don't know why it just slipped from my mind. Um, We could do it there. But I was thinking this could be an extension of, do you remember that time when you went to Madrid like a week after me? So I left you a little note hidden in the bush. I mean,
1: it might have been the best thing that's ever happened to me. So of course I remember, yes.
0: So exciting. We need to do that more often. I was going to say
1: I should do it in Berlin, but I'll be here.
0: (laughs) You could hide it like in your flat somewhere.
1: Yeah, good idea. Okay, deal.
0: Luckily, if you want to get in touch with us, you don't need to send a message in a bottle. It's much easier thanks to something called the internet. You can just email us at europeanspodcast at gmail.com or say hi on any number of social networks.
1: At Europeans Pod is our Twitter handle. Europeans Podcast is what we're called on the Instagram. Facebook, we're down as the European. So yeah, easy. Well, although not that easy because it's different for each of them. So quite complicated and annoying that we have to say it differently at the end of every episode.
0: It is. That was very tiring. Next week, we will probably be bringing you news from Macedonia, maybe, probably. And this big row that looks like it's blowing up over the country's name. But in the meantime, a great French artist left us this week, Charles Aznavour, France's answer to Frank Sinatra. An incredible performer who just lived a really astonishing life. He was born into an Armenian immigrant family in Paris. They helped loads of Jewish people and Armenians to escape during World War II. Um, Just a phenomenal story. And his career as a singer was just also amazing. He broke loads of taboos. He sang about homosexuality. He questioned all these traditional ideas around masculinity. And he sang in all kinds of European languages as well. So we were going to leave you with one of the songs that you might recognize. You probably know it as She. And I think... Dominic, you have a little story to tell about this.
1: Yeah, well, I don't know whether I should. It's like genuinely the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to me. Anyway, it's cathartic. So I'm going to tell this story. So um, for my mother-in-law's 60th birthday, my husband asked me if I would sing, just casually sing She by Charles Aznavour. Um, I kind of knew the song from because it was used in Notting Hill, but I didn't really know it. And Thomas was like, oh, it's fine. People just get up and sing at Dutch birthdays. That's what they do. It's really casual. You don't need to practice it or anything. And I was like, okay, uh, I don't really know it, but I'll do it. And he was like, you can do it. You're a singer. It's fine. It's your job. Um, And I was really busy at the time, so I didn't have any time to think about it until I was on the way down there. And they got me a keyboard.
0: What, so you were going to be playing and singing at the same time?
1: Yes, which I also don't (laughs) really play the piano. (laughs) Um, and I thought, okay, Thomas just kept being like, it's fine. It doesn't matter. People will think it's great. It's really not a problem. And I hadn't met any of these people. It was all of his extended family. I was newly on the scene in that family. And yeah, it was... The most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to me because I started playing and realized that even though I had the music in front of me, I couldn't really see the words. And I realized that I can't play and sing at the same time if I don't know it. I'm not (laughs) that kind of person. And it was like, she may be the, I had to like stop every bar, like to check and see what the word was. And I just wanted the world to swallow me up. It's the worst thing. Ever.
0: How long did this take?
1: Oh, I don't know. It felt like it took an hour.
0: And did people clap afterwards?
1: Yeah, of course they did. They were all very nice. But I think they all thought like, oh, he said he was an opera singer. I thought he was a professional. (laughs)
0: Oh, Tommy, that's really sad. I hope you've practiced it up for my birthday visit next week when I'm going to request that you sing it again.
1: I will happily do it for you if you provide me with a keyboard.
0: I want you to do it in Spanish, which is what we're about to hear. This is Charles Aznavour with Ella, as it's known in Spanish. Au revoir tout le monde. We'll see you next week. Bye. Es una mujer excepcional Un ángel dulce y natural Que se ha bajado desde el cielo hasta mi piel, es la que conoce su papel, hoy es infiel, mañana fiel, la flor salvaje
2: y la inesía bordada en sabana y...